back to Judge Movie with me, Ben Flanagan. Your Judge Movie, the movie judge who judges movies based on whether or not they've committed crimes against cinema. I'm um, joined as ever by cinema attorney Alicia Uzumi. Hello, everyone. And uh, we've got a special guest today. Ooh. We've brought Magnolia, Paul Thomas Anderson, to the table. <laughs> Natasha Lander Kapler. <laughs> so the 99 Project is a series we're doing this year in 2019. We want to look at movies released in 1999, 20 years on, look at their legacy, um, look at maybe how they've aged, and uh, to see if 99 really should be celebrated as such a wonderful year in cinema. As people, people often say it is, but is it really? And uh, Magnolia is kind of one of the, the ca- canonised films of the year, mm-hmm. I would say, at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you... Choose it. Well, um, Mag- Magnolia is a film that's very close to my heart because I think it's what really piqued my interest in um, just learning more about film. Uh, up until that stage, I think as a child, I was really a bit of a jazz hat, jazz hands kid. I did <laughs> was part of a lot of like drama clubs, and I had my um, goals set on becoming an actress or something like that. And it's with that film that I became more interested in terms of the script writing process and directing and just all the different decisions that are made um, into making a film. And uh, yeah, and I watched Magnolia when I was about 13 and um, that was (laughs) one of the darkest uh, times in my (laughs) life. Um, And I remember that uh, at that time I had a lot going on and um, I was not communicating with my parents or friends or teachers and just like bottling up all these emotions and I had like a sort of emotional conversation with my mum and then she put this DVD on and the thing is she had been telling me for years that oh you have to watch Magnolia it's such a great film you'll love it and the whole time I was like yeah whatever mum like like I had no idea what she was talking about but she put on the the film and it was the first time that I saw characters that um really sort of resonated with uh, what I was going through at the time because you've got all these different characters that are battling uh, some sort of form of depression, anxiety, trauma, um, and they just let it rip in in this film. They're just so melodramatic, uh, (laughs) the conversations they have with each other, but everyone's crying and cursing and kicking and screaming and at that time I was like oh wow so it's okay to uh, react to situations like this and I can do this Um, and yeah it was with that film that I um, became very sort of obsessively geeky about Paul Thomas Anderson Um, it wasn't even the first film of his I had seen at that point it was actually There Will Be Blood Um, but when I saw that in the cinema I actually hated it uh, and now I feel completely different about it. But that, that, yeah, that was the second film of his that I'd seen. Um, and yeah, that's where my interest in him really peaked because I was like, oh wow, this is a bizarre film. I think for a whole generation of film fans, mm. Paul Thomas Anderson is kind of one of these guys that's got a lot of people hooked on cinema because yeah. of the way he uses cinema language in like a quite different way for someone that's so kind of mainstream and, right. and known. Because I had a really similar kind of response to There Will Be Blood when that came out. Yeah. Seeing that in the cinema was something that totally changed yeah. how I looked at movies. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not in such an emotional kind of... <laughs> I didn't use There Will Be Blood to kind of like get over my drawer. But uh, yeah, I, I think I was obsessed with Magnolia yeah. at the time. I don't know if it holds up 
quite as well for me though now having watched oh, it okay. again uh-huh. so it's set over one day in LA you've the got, San Fernando Valley yes. to be specific, yes. to be specific. <laughs> right and you've got is it sort of nine or ten characters who are it's all about eight, eight stories eight main stories yeah. including William H. Macy as former quiz kid Donnie Smith who's getting braces and is in love uh, a new young quiz kid Stanley who's uh, has a kind of traumatic time on the, his game show, which is run by Philip Baker Hall as a kind of creepy Jimmy Savile-esque kind <laughs> yeah. of personality. Yeah. I mean, there's so many echoes in this movie that now, mm. like, um, the, you know, the, the Tom Cruise character as this kind of sleazy, like, incel <laughs> dude. Yeah, I was yeah. shocked yeah, yeah. at, like, how relevant that is yeah. now. Um, yeah. yeah, it's kind of a mosaic of all these different characters intersecting, interacting, and then the things that bring them together that are kind of unexplainable. All these miraculous little moments that kind of connect them. I, th- I think that those those m- miracle moments is kind of what holds me back from fully loving it now. There's so much emotional kind of truthfulness in the actual scenes, but it's that connected tissue that feels sort of forced to me now and feels a little bit, um, yeah, like Paul Thomas Anderson writing it and trying to squeeze this kind of epic tapestry. Uh-huh. Um, where in some of his later films, he seems to just kind of let these characters like breathe a little bit more. Okay, what, what, uh, like, where do you draw the line in the film? Is it, is it, in this, yeah, is it the song, the frogs? I, it's, I mean, I think those bits are like so much further that I'm kind of, that comes around and I'm okay with them. Uh-huh. But it's, um, I don't know, it's the little thing, it's the way everyone's kind of obsessed with the television. Right. Or like oh, these okay, kind yeah. of things that, that link, that bind them. Uh, the, um, I mean, the, the score that is such, John Bryan's score, which is kind of magnificent, but so, imposing and like mm-hmm. here we're, we're crashing towards some kind of catastrophe or something mm-hmm. and it makes me feel like like it's overreaching mm-hmm. um for what the film actually gets to over a free hour you know? i mean I, I i yeah like i said i watched this as a as a very angsty teenager so at the time i was like it's i totally, love this yeah yeah i think this that. is yeah <laughs> um but i realized i also realized because i had to rewatch this recently i watch it while i was in a really good mood and it um, at that point, I realized that every year I revisit this film, but it's always when I'm like usually feeling a bit sorry for myself. <laughs> and it's only then that you can really appreciate this film. I can see why some people absolutely hate hate it and uh, find it really stressful, a really stressful <laughs> experience to go through. Uh, just is it like the music is uh, just bombards every scene, particularly particularly with um, Melora Walters' character. Oh, it's all the Amy yeah, Man yeah, yeah, all yeah, the Amy yeah. Man songs. Um, so I, I can understand how, <laughs> yeah, that's not a particularly enjoyable experience for a lot of people. Um, but no, I, I really dig John Bryan's uh, score and the Amy Mann songs in this, because it's, they, I, I read that um, he, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, based a lot of the script on the songs that she wrote um, prior to making the film. And there's even like a line with um, Claudia and... Uh, what's the name of um, John C. Riley's character, the the police officer, the yeah. um, where she yeah she quotes the lyrics that says, um, uh, "Now that you've met me, would you? Uh, uh, yeah, would you, yeah. yeah uh, would, would you object, object to never object seeing me again? Yeah. yeah. But um, I thought that those were written for the movie. I didn't realize that it was. They both were, but the he sort of it, um, wrote the script around the right. lyrics. Yeah. I and because also you sent us the article from Grantland about. Paul Thomas Anderson and Fiona Apple's yes, yeah. relationship, yeah. and that kind of troubled me in some ways because it seemed like he'd like he was saying that I oh, went through 
Fiona's diaries and like took yeah. loads of lines and stuff like that. And I couldn't yeah. work out how tongue in cheek that was. Yeah. So um, for those of you of you that are not familiar with what happened, uh, uh, Fiona Apple was a big singer. The I think the mid '90s who um, had a relationship with Paul Thomas Anderson, and they were both sort of at the um, peak of their game um, at that time because she had released um, When the Porn, which I think is probably her most successful album and then he came out with Magnolia at the around the same time um, and uh, a lot of her lyrics are about uh, her uh, just sort of uh, they're like um, a stream of consciousness um, going through uh, her trauma she was uh, uh, sexually abused as a teenager um, and then of course she she came into the limelight at a very young age but like with Britney Spears she they they wanted to sort of sell her as a sort of like a nymphette uh, sort yeah, she's of she's like the alternative person. Yeah. Britney Spears, mm-hmm. wasn't she? Uh, and her first uh, music video for Criminal was very provocative, but that was not really the sort of image that she she wanted to um, put out there. And uh, Paul Thomas Anderson um, based the characters of Stanley and Claudia on uh, Fiona Apple. So with uh, Stanley, you had this uh, sort of uh, child... Uh, genius who is uh, forced into this game show because he he's just really good at accumulating um, facts about all kinds of things and he's really successful on the show um but his his father even tells all the other parents uh, that are involved that he yeah you have to sort of be slightly manipulative um with the kids uh, in order to to convince them to keep going on with the show um and there's a there's a moment in the film where um Stanley uh, really needs to go to the toilet but they won't let him go because he has to keep they just have to keep rolling and apparently yeah apparently that was based on yeah. something that happened with Fiona Apple for a music video or a photo shoot that she yeah, that they wouldn't let her on but um, is that kind of weird that he's like taken so many of her kind of stories and her experience yeah He's taken many of his own experiences as well, with his yeah. father dying of cancer and the Jason yeah. Robot storyline. Mm. So I don't think it's. And I think in the um, Philip Baker Hall character, yeah. has a lot of echoes of Goulardi or whoever the. Is it only yeah, 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 yeah. His own father, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess it's, you can't apply the same rules to yourself, to other people, even mm. if they are your partner. Or can you? <laughs> <laughs> you saw the documentary, the that moment, right? It yeah, seems right. like she did have a lot of. Uh, sort of involvement or at least was definitely around him at the time of making the film definitely yeah he was kind of describing it as like a love letter to her yeah Um, it's even dedicated to her and his father yeah yeah yeah, right Um, I kind of struggle with that documentary because it just it's such like a portrait of like this genius Paul Thomas Anderson (laughs) yeah Um, he's like he just seems like he's jacked on coke the whole time yeah I think he is yeah yeah. okay (laughs) Um, yeah he's kind of mad and like just yeah, the stubbornness of like everyone's like following his vision, and everyone kind of knows that this movie's so bloated. Mm. But it's all, I guess it's because everything is so on the surface in this movie. Everything's out there that it um, that if you buy into that, then you can't not that it can't fail in a way. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like this is a movie that there isn't much to there isn't much to to think about afterwards other than what you've seen. There's not like hidden depths right. to it. Yeah. But that's also fine. Like the fact that it lays it all out, as you said, it's, it is just emotions, isn't mm. it? The whole film is like is a weird mood piece, mm. even if it's like a very noisy, talkative one. Mm-hmm. It is just about a feeling of magnolia or whatever. <laughs> the other day. Is that is that kind of the the idea? 
I that think color so. or? Oh, I, I think he, he said that he just liked the name, that there's no particular okay. <laughs> message to the title. But even the that title. is kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. With yeah. like, well, his status as a celebrated canonized filmmaker that's only grown since Magnolia. You know, he's definitely one of like the go-to guys of any like, young film fan. I've always kind of resisted getting into his filmography um, of really thinking he's all that he's cracked up to be. And then I do watch his films, I'm like, okay, I see it, I get it. <laughs> and then I watch his interviews and he's like very cokey and I'm just kind of like, <sighs> he's still, he talks with his arrogance. And maybe that's essential to be a filmmaker and to get, get your way done. But it's always been a bit difficult for me to truly want to be on his side. I think with his early films especially, there is so much, his, his influences are like as out there as like, you know, your Tarantino's or other filmmakers from that era. Um, and I think when I first was watching those films, I hadn't seen like Robert Altman or the Martin Scorsese films mm. that are so weaved into how he, he puts his films. You know, the the long zooms, yeah. the tracking shots. Yeah, it is a kind of approach to drugs and stuff like that in the films. I, I find is isn't really his mm-hmm. in a way. Mm. Um, and it's only now with like there'll be blood and especially Phantom Thread that I feel like he has actually kind of found his own kind of non-style mm-hmm. yeah. um, that isn't reliant on other citations or mm-hmm. um, yeah I mean I'm, I've not seen a great deal of Robert Altman films but uh, as far as I know uh, there's a lot of similarities between this and Shortcuts yeah well they're both of, set yeah. in the same yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think there's even like a natural disaster that occurs at some point in that film uh, it got yeah. s- even some of the same actors Julianne Moore's in that mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, from what I read, it sounds like he was a bit of a mentor towards him uh, oh, okay. at that time. So I haven't seen a lot of Robert Altman, but I have always been working on this theory that every PTA and PTA film is a one to one with an Altman film. So okay. Inherent mm-hmm. Vice is his The Longer Bite. Um, Punch Drunk Love is his Popeye because it's even uses the song <laughs> from Popeye yeah. Yeah, as yeah. like one of the running songs through Punch Drunk Love. Um, obviously, Magnolia is Shortcuts. Um, Boogie Nights is Nashville. Um, I could go on. I think I'm forgetting something. Yeah, those are, those are the key <laughs> ones. What's Phantom Thread? I think that might, yeah, as you say, that might be his first original one. Like he's he's out of his Tarantino phase, he's into his own own style phase. Because people then yeah. stopped comparing him to Altman and started saying like Kubrick, he's our Kubrick. Kind of thing. <laughs> okay. And I feel like that's kind of part of the kind of macho. Um, vibe around right. PTA. It's, it's funny that you say that he's uh, sort of like revered by like um, male film nerds because when I got in, into him everyone I knew was really into the Tarantino um, Christopher Nolan and I thought like oh no one's into this filmmaker he's I'm so obscure I'm just like <laughs> I'm so cool because no one else knows him uh, and it's only until like in the last couple of years I've realised that he's actually yeah he, he does seem to have a bit of a, a fanboy uh, situation um but yeah i would i would say that i think he the difference between him and um let's say a filmmaker like tarantino is that he's uh i think he does do a good job at portraying female characters but i think i might be alone in in saying that because i know a lot of people would disagree with that i think that his female characters are very complex and um raw and uh just very human um and uh, you you have scenes like with uh julianne moore where she has that um breakdown in the pharmacy and yeah you could, that's the best scene in the film yeah like, but you could take that as oh this is it's 
I don't know, she's in a way like sort of a caricature or, you know, it's just, it's too much going on. Um, yeah. It's weird like that on the page. There's a scene later on as well in the, um, when she's talking to the lawyer. Yeah. And she's going like, yeah. oh, I suck so many cocks. And yeah. like, that on the page is kind of weird. But when Julianne Moore does it, she yeah. sells that entire, like, really. Yeah. So that is... I mean, I kind of don't want to say it, but I think he does a, he does such a great balance of having those ridiculous things being said and managing those actors to get them to say them in certain ways. Mm. Um, and what really resonates with the film is the way it is so intimate and it feels like an epic, it's exciting. I mean, he's, he's got a lot of like lit- literary references as well and I think that kind of, the kind of goofiness but taken very seriously is, is kind of what you'd see in like late 20th century like novelists and stuff, mm-hmm. I think. So he's kind of brought that as well it's, it's weird I don't know why I'm resistant to this dude who makes these amazing films like every five years comes along with another like, well, well what's been your your history have you always felt this way about him um, no I was like as I said like full I was full PTA fuckboy <laughs> I probably still am like uh, yeah I mean There Will Be Blood really kind of was a moment for me um, and I had the Amy Mann soundtrack on repeat on my iPod. I, I think it's this thing of like re- realizing that he didn't invent most of these kind of techniques. Okay. Right. Yeah. And and maybe now I feel betrayed. But like, <laughs> that like he didn't invent the tracking shot. But yeah. Like maybe maybe it's that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe that's the case for like any filmmaker. You keep going back and then you go, oh, D. W. Griffiths didn't invent anything. <laughs> not that not that I stand D. W. Griffiths. <laughs> The massive racist, but you know, you. I feel like we've approached him from opposite sides. Yeah. Um, and maybe now we're reaching a point of both being into Phantom Thread. Yes, that's, that's definitely my favourite of his. Um, but yeah. Um, but yeah. What about you, Tasha? What's your history? You say you hated what there will be blood the first time. You saw yeah. Uh, again, I th- it's a lot of these films are tied to like whatever sort of big emotional experience I was having at the time. <laughs> so I remember my. Dr- parents dragged me to see There Will Be Blood in the cinema and that time I had a, a fever the Torchwood uh, season finale was on I was like oh, I well, you were missing I'm Torchwood. missing Torchwood so I was just so pissed off and that's that's not a film to watch when you're like barely conscious as well from a, <laughs> a fever um, and I remember thinking at the time I was this is just so so blokey it's just like you know men shouting at each other there's blood violence oil <laughs> and i blood. just yeah and it's just uh, it really i really didn't take to it at the time i revisited um about maybe two three years later um a friend of mine um rented a dvd and only then i realized like oh this is like, like technically this is brilliant mm-hmm. i don't know why i absolutely loathe this film <laughs> when i first watched it um i still it's not my, like in terms of how I rank his films, it's not at the top. I know it's, uh, y- yeah, I, it's just, this, it's, it's too hyper-masculine for me. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think Phantom Thread is, a, for me, a very strong contender for like maybe his best film. It what, I mean, for me, it's still Magnolia because of my personal experience, but Phantom Thread is, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. It's just, it's, so different from his previous works and is just much more restrained um, the and charming and uh, yeah I just love the performances um, particularly by uh, who, who's it that plays Alma uh, Vicky Creeps, Vicky Creeps. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Where has she been since Phantom Fred? I know. Like, what? <laughs> I know she's in this, uh, the Bergman Island film coming up. Oh, I didn't but, know that. Um, have you heard about this movie? It's like, oh. <laughs> it's called Bergman Island. It's about this film crew that like goes to the island that Bergman shot all his movies at. Uh-huh. And like, Ooh, they start yeah. to like experience things from his film. I think it's, is it Mia Hansen Love or something that's directed oh. it? Yeah, oh. it looks cool. Okay. Um, She's very selective. That's why you can trust her. That's <laughs> <laughs> she's making a... Yeah, maybe. She's, she's a massive theoratter, I think, as well. Uh, okay, think, that makes yeah. sense. Um, but also with Phantom Fred, it's co-written by... He's not credited, but apparently Daniel Day-Lewis pretty much wrote it with mm. PTA. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think especially for like the sort of the dialogue, there's, I think there were things that maybe were a bit more American or more in Paul Thomas Anderson style that wouldn't really just fit with his character because yeah. that's the so, first movie that isn't set in America yeah like, even not set in California yeah like, yeah yeah. I mean um, Punch Drunk Love is like a part of it's in Hawaii yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's like that West. that's like <laughs> uh, yeah I think pretty much all the other ones are set in the valley yeah, yeah. even like the old valley yeah yeah so Okay, maybe we need to talk about the performances in this because in, in Magnolia, let's, let's kind of zone in on <laughs> stuff in this film because we talked about Julianne Moore a little bit. I, I, this is a film of some incredible performances mm. and everyone's kind of quite balanced in it. No one really comes through. I know Tom, Tom Cruise got the uh, Oscar nod. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're a massive Tom Cruise fan. Yeah. How does this stack up? Oh, yeah, it's an incredible performance. I love him in it. Um, He's it, it plays to his strengths and his like star image. Like he's determined character. He's kind of a self-made character. He's so focused and constructed, and so he channels all that to make play. It's such a terrifying character rather than a than an action hero. He's playing this almost evangelist style kind of incel trainer pickup artist. <laughs> um, yeah, he's like that Rouge dude. Do you, do you know yeah, Rouge? Rouge yeah, dude, yeah, 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 that guy. Um, yeah, it's crazy people talk about incels as if it's a new phenomena, but these pickup arts have been working clearly since forever. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a great Tom Cruise performance. <laughs> I really like a scene with Philip Seymour Hoffman, where Philip Seymour Hoffman is playing um, Tom Cruise's father's uh, sort of uh, nurse. hospice nurse. Mm. Um, because the dynamic between them is so different between the opening scene in Mission Impossible 3 <laughs> where Philip Seymour yes. Hoffman is playing uh, this villain who just is not intimidated by Tom Cruise at all so I really like those scenes and their, their, their performances together it's, that, it's one of my favourite Philip Seymour Hoffman oh, yeah? he's, he's amazing in this film mm. and it's, it's the most non he's always playing a creep isn't he yes. and so this is like the first time that he isn't that I can think of really and uh, he's also the only character in the movie that doesn't really have any skin in the game. Like mm. everyone else is is linked, and he's just the carer for for Jason Robards. But he's kind of developed this. Yeah, this it's just pure empathy. Pure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's just I don't know. Just he's heartbreaking in that. Yeah. 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 Um, and different to what you'd expect from like a male nurse character. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking the only other one I can think of in movies is like Ben Stiller and Me the Parents. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this generic kind of, mm-hmm. I don't know, nebbishy sort of thing. Yeah, I, I think, I think it's just, who's, who, what's your highlight performance? Yeah, for me it's Melora Waters. Um, I, I mean, I can't really, no, I can't talk for myself, but I, I have a lot of uh, friends who have had similar experience to her and I think the way she, portrays her character um he's just like she's like 
completely unbridled rage at times, especially towards her father. And uh, she's both vulnerable and like riddled with anxiety. She every every time she talks, she looks like she's I don't know about to puke or something, just because mm-hmm. she's just uh, so uh, upset and um, tense all the time. Um, and I I think it's a very I would say it's an accurate depiction of uh, people that have experienced uh, some sort of sexual abuse in their lives or a, a very severe trauma. Um, and that it's just something so so broken about her character that I find really endearing and heartbreaking to watch. Um, yeah, so for me it's her and then Julianne Moore equally. Is, I, I just I, I love the women. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah um, even though I, yeah, as he said, sometimes the the, the things, the di- the way the dialogue plays out, like she, the, that scene with um, the lawyer, she keeps um, interrupting him, going, shut the fuck up, shut the fuck up. And then it gets to a point where it's a little bit awkward, just the way it comes out. But uh, it's, I don't know, it's just nice to, to see angry, emotional women. <laughs> That's what I look for in film. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, with Julianne Moore, it's like it's this thing of balance. Like, if it was a whole movie of her, mm. it might get a little bit too too far, or like I don't know, it'd be like some Jenna Rowlands kind of mm. thing. Um, well, I wanted to talk about the subplot with the character Worm, played by Orlando Jones, because um, uh, when you're watching the film, I did feel like the story goes nowhere. He's introduced in the beginning. He does that amazing rap to John C. Riley. There's this promise of like resolution and mystery. And then it's just completely dropped from the film. And then obviously in the research, finding out that that was cut. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I felt like it is it a coincidence that the black characters are marginalised in their own in the movie, and it felt like yeah annoying. To I, see. I will say this: so far, his like uh, representation of black characters has not been particularly good uh even the character of marcy is a bit of a i would say a bit of a stereotype just mm-hmm. yeah yeah um, and it's kind of weird the way that she's used to like show the real la mm, like mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. this is the man on the street and this is mm-hmm. what he has to deal with yeah um i mean i because you've got already eight storylines going on at the same time it mm-hmm. makes sense why that was cut out but it, it, yeah it, it is 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 a bit annoying that because it, it seems like it would play a significant role later on yeah. in the film and then nothing really comes out of it yeah except to be like oh it's just one of the things that happens that, with no explanation yeah. yeah i think another thing that bothered me about it being cut is when worm finds Gina moore he robs her mm. and then also calls the ambulance for her but i think his subplot involved him needing that money really desperately yeah. but then without that context, he's just a little kid stealing, just, just a black kid stealing from a rich lady. And it kind of just felt like very, yeah, more cliched and like shallow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even the bit where he's like, I'm a rapper. You know, I'm <laughs> poetry for John C. Riley. And John C. Riley's like, whoa, man, don't use that language around me. I thought yeah. that seemed quite kind of... Yeah. There's also a, like a scene, it's like maybe five seconds where you, you see he's watching the the quiz show and then he gets picked up by someone but he it looks kind of shot in a slightly sinister way and I w- would be really curious to know what was the, his storyline because mm. I think it involved his father mm-hmm. and maybe some other family member in, in some sort of yeah. crime. Yeah, so from reading the script yeah. about that, so Worm is the father, mm-hmm. he's called someone else. Oh, right, the is kid. it Dixon? Yeah, the kid's Dixon. Okay, all and right. And the, the story is that he ends up 
trying to rob Stanley after Stanley's run out of the studio. Mm-hmm. And oh, okay. uh, then Stanley's like, it's okay, you can have the money. Mm-hmm. And then the kid comes along with the gun that he's stolen mm-hmm. and he's like, I'm going to steal your money. And then the dad, I, yeah. they have some kind of altercation and it starts raining frogs. It seems kind of... Okay. I'm glad that was cut out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Glancing at the script, yeah. like, what did seem kind of like not very well written. So like, it could have been cut for those reasons. Mm-hmm. Like it yeah. just, it's not the best part of the movie. I mean, they filmed it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. On, it's in the documentary, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, but but it also is kind of weird that it goes nowhere, especially because mm-hmm. they come back to it with the scene with him being picked up. Yeah, which I thought was going to be another kind of allusion to abuse as well. Yeah, it, it is shot like, in that way. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, it's because there's no, nothing to uh, stop him from uh, casting uh, one of the main characters as it could have been a person of color. There's mm-hmm. it, yeah. And in general, I mean, also, in, I'm just thinking, like, in Inherent Vice, I think there's maybe, like, one black character that's uh, um, one of uh, Doc Sportello's, like, drug addicts or something. I don't know. There's uh, some sort yeah, of, yeah. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. It's the guy from The Wire, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and Box Wope in Boogie Nights, who is an amazing mm. performance from Don Cheadle, mm. but his whole arc is that he likes wearing cowboy outfits. Yeah. And then he has to... The only way of finding self-actualization by the end is like being getting into disco and wearing like disco yeah. outfits. And I was like, "What's that saying? That's kind of weird." Mm. Um, yeah. Well, hopefully that will change because isn't he doing a film with uh, Maya Rudolph and Tiffany Haddish? Or he wants to do. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Right. So okay. hopefully she'll like push him in the right. I've direction. always wanted to see him directing Maya Rudolph. I've well, really she's an inherent vice. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah but it's just a very a minor role. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because the thing with Punch Drunk Love was that that was supposed to be a very broad Adam Sandler comedy, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. He was actually aiming okay. to make a Big Daddy 2 kind of thing. And then just... Couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the same as Magnolia, which he was like, this is going to be my tossed off film that I shoot in two weeks or whatever, yeah. wasn't yeah. it? And then it just, yeah. yeah. Blew up. Yeah. It blew up. Um, just, uh, who, el- who else haven't we talked about? William H. Macy. God, that performance is so heartbreaking. I find it kind of hard to watch. <laughs> like, his character's so tra- tragic, but it's also very funny, and it's just so cringy for me. It's really depressing. Like, he's even got this terrible hair dye job where he's got, like, an inch of ginger roots with the black hair dye and these red glasses, and it's so sad. Oh, God. Yeah, I struggle with that. But it's great. It's brilliant. He's too much. Like, even the, there's a bit in the documentary where he's talking to PTA on, like, a balcony mm-hmm. when they're about to go to oh, the yeah. premiere. And, and PTA goes inside and the camera's just still on William H. Macy and he's just looking out off the balcony like as if his parents have just died and he's going, yeah, he developed the film himself. And it's just like, yeah. why That's are you funny. sad about that? It's like, no, but funny. He, 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 was, he was, yeah, yeah, he was, yeah, he was joking. Oh, okay. I thought <laughs> yeah. that was literally it. Was no, like... no, yeah, it's really funny bit in the documentary. Peter is talking about how he designed the, the poster himself, mm. and then that's why Michael Lewis basically ripping on it, like, oh yeah, he developed the film himself. He did this and that himself. <laughs> yeah, he's very deadpan. Yeah, he's too deadpan for me. Yeah. <laughs> is he going to prison? No, his wife's going to prison, isn't she? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's also, also, also in the film. kind of ironic, the, the characters he plays like in this, in Magnolia and in um, Fargo, it's sort of these, like, <laughs> yeah. scheming. Yeah. Yeah, well, Felicity Hoffman plays quite, a, like, a nasty character in this, doesn't she? Mm. As the, um, well, she's just kind of like an associate producer or whatever mm-hmm. on the show, uh, who doesn't let 
Doc, uh, the Stanley go to the loo. Yeah. And there's something kind of weird, her kind of smiley, blank face. Yeah. Responses to everything. You think? I th- I just thought she was a woman in Hollywood under pressure. She's just trying to get these kids onto the floor <laughs> as nicely as she can. I didn't think she was that bad. Could be, yeah. Nice. But I think it's a very 99 thing, this whole, the kind of obsession with like the media in the film and the, the type of media, like quiz shows, uh, everyone's watching like terrestrial TV, everyone's Everyone is linked by watching the same thing at the same mm-hmm, time. Yeah. Um, and like magazines are kind of prevalent with like Fimpsy Hoffman needing to order the magazines mm-hmm, to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it is a post, a pre internet movie, like one mm-hmm. of the last kind of um, ones. And that kind of time stamps it. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have any thoughts on that and the era? Um, I, I read a nice quote from the production designer Mark Bridge saying that. Um, this is a movie that is very much about time, 99. Even though the film is contemporary, we've approached it as a period piece because we really wanted to peg the way things are currently. And I think that's amazing. It just looks vulnerable for that reason. Um, <laughs> and it's interesting they took that approach to it. Um, yeah, I love that it's a time capsule for that television yeah. stuff. For me, it, even though I wasn't, like, I was just maybe, I don't know, four, three <laughs> at that time, It I, I, I love any film from the 90s. It just makes me really nostalgic for a time before <laughs> social media and yeah. internet. Um, and just like, even that, that whole thing of, uh, you know, sitting down in front of the television to watch something as it is, it's not something we really do anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, for me, it's more, I think, the, the music, because um, you don't really get... You don't really have those sort of like jazzy pop tunes anymore. Um, and yeah. yeah, I'm really bad at talking about music, but <laughs> yeah, but even yeah. like the Gab- Gabrielle track. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Dreams. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, songs like that kind of don't really exist, mm. do they? Now, mm. um, but I, I, I don't know. I just, watching it, I was like, this is so kind of apolitical in a way. It's so mm. it's just everything is. Everything that happens is because of fate and chance, not because of anyone's like circumstances or anything. You know, and, and this goes back to the race issue yeah. in it as well. It's mm-hmm. like nothing's really explored in depth. Like why the Stanley's father, who is so kind of scheming and like money driven, you don't really understand anything more about him. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because the film is just whizzing around all of these characters and it does an amazing job of it. It kind of misses something about about why they are this way mm-hmm. and it kind of makes it a spiritual thing rather than like systemic yeah i think there is some kind of comment on that because it is set in the san fernando valley it is set in hollywood it's set you know on the tv studio lot so i think it's just it's about that media obsession and that's why they're driven like it's very specifically about that kind of class of people mm-hmm. i think so what yeah so with like jason robards as well mm-hmm. um as like the f- the forefather he is kind of well, he's the partridge logo at the end of yeah. the show and stuff. So he's death. Does that kind of signal something? Do you think, or is that a reach? I haven't thought about it in those times, but possibly, yeah. I don't know what's yeah, at the end of the TV studio era. <laughs> I have never thought about it in that way, uh, but I yeah, it's true what you say that I, it's not really a. I don't think it's really a critique on the you know the sort of the hierarchy and the positions of power those those men hold in that kind of business. It's. Uh, too sentimental for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, because the 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 Earl Partridge character who we only see on his deathbed, mm-hmm. um, you don't really 
it's quite an, it's a very positive depiction of the character I think like the way that Julianne Moore and Philip Seymour have just fallen in love with him through his vulnerability which is something that goes back in Phantom Fred as well mm-hmm. um, I, I mean I guess you but you've got the Tom Cruise character is a massive contradiction to that he's a product of yeah. yes. L. Partridge and he's just like you know the antithesis of love so I think that just that obviously that doesn't make him seem that like that disrupts the sympathy you might have for him for me like he's done monstrous things and he's created a monster yeah I mean the bit that loses me the most in the movie is his like 20 minute monologue uh, where where he's actually dying mm-hmm. that I like kind of l- I don't know I lose the thread of what that's trying to say yeah, to w- yeah. Uh, when he's when they give him the morphine or yeah it? when he's going like regret oh right yeah regret yeah, yeah, there's a lot of very self-aware moments, like also when um, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's like, and this is the part of the film where you have to help me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think they put this in movies because this really does happen. <laughs> um, yeah. I think that's one of the things that really date this movie and maybe haven't aged as well, is that self-awareness that kind of maybe was so exciting to see in 99, but it's, I find it kind of grating to see that kind of thing now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and maybe some of the 99 bits that stick out to me like that are the, the sort of framing device of the narration and like the, the three short stories about fate or not yeah. quite fate, yeah. but like it's meant to be. Um, which are cool, but to me they just have aged horribly. And like, it's just this <laughs> kind of quirky thing that is happening because it's, it's a 90s movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, the kind of inserts of the like weather bits as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I kind of, I find that, as you said, that opening sequence like really compelling. Really like the way it's yeah. put together. But I just don't know how it fits with the rest of the movie other than it's about chance, it's about mm-hmm. fate. Mm-hmm. Um, like... Is there something else? Well, I mean, it's not about chance and fate because the narration talks about how it's like, it's more than that. It's not just that. Yeah. It like, means something. But this is what I'm saying. Like, it's just, there's something else. Like, what is that? Like, that's so kind of nebulous. So dubious. <laughs> it's like, what, what is that? I don't know. I guess it's not quite... He's, I think he's reaching for something you can't quite say with words. Yeah. He's reaching for Magnolia. <laughs> Oh, Louis Guzman playing Louis Guzman. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, um, that was fun. I like yeah. that. Love Hype's popping up in all these '90s movies. He's um, great. Yeah, he's a regular. Um, yes, I think so. He plays one of the panelists on the game show. It's sort of adults v kids in this trivia game show. Um, and his character, his his like name card on the show says Luis, and then his oh, character is, is actually credited as Luis Guzman. Mm. So I was like, is he playing himself, jobbing around in LA? Just oh, really? Great. <laughs> Um, or was it just PTA being kind of lazy? I don't know. I felt mm. weird about that. Uh, well, I didn't realize that they actually had to shoot the whole game show as if it were a real thing, like yeah, the whole, cool. like a whole hour of it. And he wrote the script for everything <laughs> they were going to say. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. What do you think about the kind of climax of that, where Stanley speaks out in this kind of network esque mm-hmm. moment, uh, where he's like, you know, you're just looking at me. Mm. Uh, what, how does it feel about that? scene because it's, it's kind of one of the big climaxes of the film I'd say mm-hmm. it all sort of builds to that around the TV and stuff so. um, I really love that moment I mean I I've for a couple of years I freelance as like a educator childminder a tutor whatever um, so it, for me it, it's it's always nice to have a 
uh, a child character that actually gets to speak out and uh, defend themselves in a film, especially in that sort of situation where they're being like very subtly uh, abused and manipulated. It's not sexual abuse, but it's, uh, you know, parental abuse nevertheless. Um, and also by this uh, industry that this kid has been like wedged into. Um, and I, no, I, 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 re I think that's one of, for me, one of my favorite moments in the film. Um, I'm just trying to think. <laughs> well, I was reading one review that, or the piece about the film that talked about Stanley as a victim of sexual abuse, and I don't know that I picked up on that. Within, he's been abused by the whole kind of by his being pushed by that, you know, kind of emotionally yeah. abused. But I don't know that. I I don't think I there's sexual abuse there. No. Yeah. I, no, I yeah. didn't pick up on that. Right. No. Um, I think there's just a connection between him and Claudia and also um, Tom Cruise's character that they're all products of uh, child abuse in some form or another and mm. um, with uh, with Stanley it's um, that 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 sort of like epiphany he has as like the he sees the frogs falling down in slow motion like oh this is something that happens like it's uh, it's important that he has that moment of clarity just to to figure out his his situation because then he goes back to his father and says he can't keep treating me like this like you have to be nicer to me uh, and that's in a way like a you know a step forward mm. uh, because um, Claudia and uh, Frank T J Mackey didn't have that opportunity and they mm. have turned out to be terribly broken adults so yeah, yeah. do you think that's him overcoming because you know the 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 William H. Macy character is clearly used yeah. as, a, as a mirror of yeah. what he's going to become. So is that him rejecting yeah, that? Like sort of, what do you think yeah, it's breaking him? the wheel to yeah. sort of like yeah, systematic. Yeah, yeah. Um, should we talk about the frogs? <laughs> so, spoiler warning, if you've not seen Magnolia yet. Um, but it it does end with frogs raining from the sky, which is pretty out there. Uh -huh. um, but it's a way, I guess, of a grand finale to bring all of these characters together the music suddenly cuts out mm. um and it's a big sustained sequence of frogs really just battering against the ground yeah. like, i'm always yeah. surprised by how violent it is mm. like they're crashing against windscreens and there's blood splurting blood, out it's yeah. really like a intense phenomenon it's also a bit comical because can you even hear some of them like ribbit so this is obviously like a biblical reference mm. although again although it's PJ kind of claims it isn't he says he didn't know it was a biblical thing, I think, right? You say it's also based on like some sort of um, like urban myth that yeah. can, apparently there have been like um, phenomenons where like either spiders, frogs, or um, fish. Yeah, fish fall from the sky, but there's mm. not been any like concrete. Not to quite it. the degree. <laughs> that happens, yeah. Um, it's kind of an amazing sequence. I think it does justify the two and a half hours lead up mm. to that mm -hmm. moment. Mm. Um, what do you guys think about frogs? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a great sequence. I'm glad it happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a problem with it being there. I think it's nice to have this kind of break from reality and then it's, but it's treated as if it is real. It doesn't turn into a fantasy movie. It's just it's yeah. happening and mm. it connects them. I like it. Yeah, yeah. it's also a, a moment where a lot of the characters... Um, uh, like come to each other's aid and try to um, support each other. So you've got Claudia and the mother, they finally, um, she, she arrives to her house and they hold each other. And this is just after the mother has learned that she, uh, Claudia has been abused. And then with, um, what was it, Officer Jim and 
uh, Donny Smith. Uh, they also he also he was about to arrest him for trying to <laughs> um, rob her. The was it the. Solomon Solomon. Yes, yeah, Solomon Solomon. Solomon. <laughs> Solomon. Owned by Alfred Molina. Um, yeah, I mean, the biggest crime of the whole film is underuse of Alfred <laughs> <Right>. Molina. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I don't have a problem with that scene. It, yeah, it definitely woke me up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. I, I, yeah, I think that's probably aged better maybe than the wise up scene. I feel like I've like got okay. an issue with that. But okay. I quite like that. Mm-hmm. Where where it, yeah. we go around the entire cast and they all sing along to Wise Up. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's I mean I recently saw a film called um Lanny Mal where they do something very similar. That that is again like um a story of like multiple stories going on at the same time and then at, just towards the end they all sing this Italian song it, 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 in it, almost exactly the same way as in okay. Magnolia so clearly it has some sort of I don't yeah. know yeah. Yeah. some resonance in the yeah. country because like yeah. skins as well yeah that was yes. my first encounter yeah. with it. and then I saw it and I thought it was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen like they're all singing this is, this is crazy and everyone I just spoke to about it was like oh yeah it's doing Magnolia and I was like okay <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, but I hate PTA, so I'll never, I'll never know. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I don't know. I'm talking about this movie. Like, it's, it's just scene after scene of like classic, you know, canonical moments. And yet I still feel like as a whole, it just... I mean, maybe that's in comparison to some of the other PTA films. It just isn't as strong for me. But I don't know. There's something that's... It feels like it's trying to be this like... End of a end of the millennium masterpiece. Mm-hmm. It's trying to be some kind of summation, and I, I don't know. He was like twenty eight when he made it. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he said, didn't he say at the time, like, this is the best film I'll ever make, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. Yeah, it but it seems like from recent interviews that he really wishes he had cut it. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine it as a shorter film, though. You'd yeah. have to start losing whole mm. characters, wouldn't you? Yeah. At that point. Yeah, there's a lot of scenes and interactions I can't. They all seem significant. I, I would. I mean, again, with the character of Dixon and the worm, mm-hmm. um, maybe I would have eliminated that entirely, if because it, it yeah. just it seems yeah. to have not really any place there. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of linked with the John C. Riley. I feel, I feel like he's a very pivotal character mm-hmm. that we've not really talked about at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he kind of saves Melora Waters, or at least is an opportunity for something. The date scene is bizarre. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think like, they kind of save each other. I don't think yeah. it's entirely one way. Mm. But um, yes, he's offering her a hand when she needs it. Mm. Uh, what's a, but what about the date scene is bizarre for you? I don't know if it's bizarre. It's just very awkward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it comes like, I don't know, at this point when you've been watching this film already for a very long time, and then it's almost like a scene, a, like an early scene in another movie, in a rom-com. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I don't know, it, it kind of works. They're, they're cute. They're <laughs> cute. I found the scene where he first meets her um, responding to uh, like a noise complaint and he's checking it out. I found that scene kind of uncomfortable. Like he knows he's a, it's a little slimy. He says it himself to like hit on this girl. He's just after he's while he's at work. Mm-hmm. But then the date scene really sort of warmed me up to them and I was like, okay, there is a connection. It's not just one way and there's something very tender there between them. So I love that. I like that scene a lot. Mm. His character is very earnest um, and I think John C. Reilly's perfect for that. He's he's very good at playing very humble. Likeable everyday men. Sidekicks, not me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
but this time he's going cruising around by himself. <laughs> he just needs a, he needs a sidekick. Yeah, I found the scene where he loses his gun. It, like, it, it took me a couple of rewatches to figure out what was going on there because it's kind of cut in between every all the the chaos of other situations mm. that are happening at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you yeah, see I where th- he's lost it? Do we know that exact moment or? No, no, I, I found it really it. hard to follow that scene, yeah. um, as you say. Because he's just like scrambling around in the dark with his torch, like, yeah. I've got to find it. Yeah. But you don't know really what he's talking about, yeah. what he's doing. <laughs> and then it cuts back to Melora Waters, and I thought he's left the gun there, mm-hmm. but he hasn't because I think the worm's got it. Or but the gun uh, is the last thing to fall after all the frogs. It's, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, of yeah. course, yeah, yeah. yeah. Talking about it now, it's reminded me of another 99 movie, American Beauty, which is similarly a very American portrait of this mosaic of characters and how they intersect. Um, and I, I don't know, have they both aged well or have they both not aged well? I think people have quite polarised opinions. American Beauty now <laughs> <laughs> not aged well yeah. for many reasons. Why is it not? <laughs> uh, yeah, but I think American Beauty is much more cynical than mm-hmm. Magnolia, just the way it portrays its characters. Um, there's, I don't know, I, I'm not a fan of American Beauty. Um, I don't know, there's something very, very distant uh, about it. Uh, you, don't, you don't have any of the tenderness or raw emotions of Magnolia, I think, uh, because you've got the main Kevin Spacey's character who's, I think he narrates it, doesn't yeah. he? Uh, and he, his whole attitude is very cynical throughout the whole film. Uh, well, it's the, it's the crossover between Gen X and Millennial. Where, <laughs> you know, American Beauty is this uber cynical, yeah. too, too hip for you kind of arch movie, and Magnolia is the start of this like very earnest, mm-hmm. like you know, half on your sleeve. Mm. Um, they are similar movies. Mm. Like, this really reminded me of, and I think that's again why I was kind of starting to find it this kind of apolitical yes. film mm-hmm. in a, in the same way that American Beauty is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna cover American Beauty in a couple of weeks. In the future, ninety nine. Yeah, we're gonna, <laughs> yeah we're gonna, got to. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do it. <laughs> um, so, okay, just in summary. Has this aged well? Is, it, is there a charge against Magnolia? I, f- I feel like... Yeah, <laughs> I know where this is headed. But it's, it's, yeah. Does this enter the canon of 99 films? Is this a reason why American cinema in 99 was, was such a huge thing? I'm thinking about whether or not it's aged well. I think in terms of when you when you compare it to his later works it, it's it's messy it's too long uh there's there's a, a lot that goes unexplained um and so i think in terms of um compelling uh character arcs it it has aged well but in terms of um representation of uh, poc characters and um just it, its length in general and all the, these random, bizarre moments that happen throughout the film. I'm not sure about that. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's, I want to defend it by also, yeah, because I have, I don't know how I feel about it right now, to be honest. <laughs> I don't know, I'm coming out from this place of resistance. You know, I don't want to give in to the Paul Thomas Anderson hype, but, you know, when I watched this movie, I was like, I'm loving it. Um, I think it is this good capsule of the 90s, but also just like, yeah, reaching for so much. And I think it does hold it together quite cohesively. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I do totally agree with your detractions as well. 
Yeah, I think in its messiness, it kind of captures a lot of the different things that we've been talking about mm -hmm. in the 99 project of overall, mm -hmm. you know, the kind of big auteur filmmakers and the, all the stuff about what well, we've been talking about. And, and, and the specific choices of actors, I think, as well, yeah. is very 99. Yeah, you've um, got all the giants. Yeah. The yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's got to kind of stay in the camp. And, and, and I didn't realise that it was only released two weeks before the end of the year as well. Mm. And that as well kind of makes it feel like this kind of end of the decade, end of the <laughs> century, end of the millennium, yeah. <laughs> like, moment. Um, and maybe that's surmised by this kind of biblical mm -hmm. thing at the end. Mm -hmm. um, We've not really talked about the biblical references. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> so, well, yeah, I, I just feel like that was the... What, what other biblical references are in it? Well, throughout Is the it, film, there's like, I think in the show, someone's holding up a plaque that says, uh, was it 8.3 or this? Uh, I, I, I mean, I don't remember anything <laughs> from the Bible. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, yeah, the eight three is referenced throughout the film, um, and it's. I, some uh, friend of mine recently asked me, so what does it all mean? I was like, I'm actually not sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. But in the actual individual storylines, there's not really there's a kind of prodigal son aspect mm. with Tom Cruise. John C. Reilly's character is a religious man. Yeah. Uh, but the the stories aren't direct like parables, are they? No. Um, Although, I guess it's this kind of mythic quality that surrounds mm -hmm. the movie that kind of creates that. But, yeah, I mean, that's, that's it. If you're saying that, like, PTA didn't even <laughs> intend that to be a biblical thing, it's kind of weird. Yeah. I feel like that's a lie. I feel like they're <laughs> believing. <laughs> well, maybe there'll be Magnolia Part 2 when we work all this out. Um, yeah, I guess we've got to kind of put it in the canon. <laughs> it's there. Um, well, thanks so much for... Yeah. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Um, <laughs> where, where can listeners find you? Uh, well, my Twitter is usually set on private these days. <laughs> um, but you are, you can follow Deptford Cinema and um, Berlin Film Society on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I do a lot of uh, programming for... But, uh, Deptford Cinema is a, a community-led uh, cinema in... It's near, it's right around here actually, it's near Lewisham, no? And uh, Berlin Film Society is a um, in, um, independent uh, film exhibitor and we do um, art house screenings at least once a month um, in different venues. So you're welcome to check those out on the website. Cool, yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks so much. Yeah, it's been really interesting. Um, I don't know if I like the film anymore or, <laughs> or where I stand on it, but yeah, um, where can people find it us? Um, so yeah, we're on listen. Twitter and Instagram at Judge Movie Pod. Um, you can find show notes and links to everything we've talked about on. Oh, I can't remember it now. Is it judgemoviepod.wordpress.com? Yeah, I think that's so. Yeah, it. Yeah. That's where we're at. And you can email us at judgemoviepodcast at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. Until then, there's a lot of bad movies out there, so stay safe. Bye.